Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. But right now, we're going to hear how to reach our friends and neighbors from our guest communicator. He's been here all three services. I don't know how he's doing a fourth, but he's going to do it with energy, vibrancy, passion, and selfishly. Would you guys welcome to the stage, Tim Bennett. to be back with you this evening. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them to the book of Luke. Come on, let's go back to Luke. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Wanted, wanted this to be a little bit more uh, of a conversational type, uh, I don't know, maybe more of a teaching moment as it is a preaching thing. Uh, I am definitely more of the preacher type person, uh, but I value deeply the standards and the principles and the strategies that God gives us in his word. And so I often understand that uh, people receive things in different ways and in different moments. And I just want to give you some practical principles of personal evangelism. It's a lot of peace. Come on. Don't you love alliteration? Come on, somebody. Practical principles of personal evangelism. Yeah. So uh, uh, Luke chapter 10, and we're going to go there. I want to say again a big thank you to Pastor Candace for the invite. We love coming here. We, I tell you what, we have fallen in love with your church and just, uh, just last year and then this year being able to come and be here with you folks and this great pastoral team that you guys have here and the staff that surrounds them and uh, man we just we're having a blast so man thank you honestly thank you very much it's it's been a blast but uh in our ministry and how we've been moving and and sometimes when we partner churches and do different things or outreaches or events or uh some type of a uh, of a public event with the church oftentimes we do a thing where our ministry we call it focus it's the acronym for focus we say find our community's unreached souls and, uh, you know, there's 102,000 people that live in Adams County. I don't know if you realize that or not. 102,000. That's a lot of people. It's shocking to me because there's so much countryside and think, I mean, I just, I mean, you could drive around for, you know, half one, half hours on end and, and around in Adams, you're supposed to laugh at that, in, in Adams County. And, uh, you know, you see trees or battlefields or, you know, rocks at the devil's bedroom or what was that thing called again? <laughs> devil's Den. Yeah. I don't know. Devil's Den. Yeah, they should think I should get that, the alliteration thing, but oh, mercy. Jesus, anoint your servant. But uh, where was I going with that? But there's 102,000 people that live in Adams County. There's a little over 7,000 that live just here in Gettysburg. If you're just knowing these numbers, um, why are you just not knowing these numbers? If you've been living here, you should know this stuff, you know? Uh, these people live here. You, you need to know who you're reaching, the demographic that you're reaching. One of the things that it was kind of shocking to me whenever I started looking at the demographics of the, of the area. I was talking with Pastor Candace and Aaron the, this, this afternoon over at the um, TGI Friday's Ministry Center. <laughs> Expanding the kingdom there we were. But <laughs> can you tell I'm a little more relaxed tonight? Come on, I got my studious glasses on. I feel all chilled out. I'm in jeans. I feel happy about life. But, uh, you know, there are almost over 8,000 United States veterans that live in this county, which makes sense because, you know, with, with the battlefield and all the history that goes and belong that a lot of the folks that help keep that alive or most of the time are veterans because they cherish, they understand the sacrifice and the value uh, of what it meant to give your life for your country. And so that's a demographic of people that we should be reaching. 
You know, that's something we should strategize with amongst the church leadership and, and, and be intentional to make sure even yesterday, I even, uh, just with my kids, uh, uh, we were, you know, walking around at, I don't know, whatever memorial there, are, there was we were at, and uh, uh, somebody come walking by and had a Vietnam veteran's hat on, and I made sure I pointed out to my, my children, you know, that that gentleman had a Vietnam veteran's hat on, and we walked over to him. Asked him to make sure he was a Vietnam vet. He said yes. And I shook his hand and said thank you. Because, you know, many of us uh, maybe have forgotten at this point that those folks were, you know, just berated whenever they came back. After they fought for their country, whether you thought the war was right, wrong, or indifferent wasn't the point. They were sacrificing their life. And then we slap them in the face whenever they came back. So every opportunity we get, we ought to be thanking them. And so I was trying to teach my children that. And, and it, that's a huge demographic. There's people that you can reach. The, every life matters. You know, particularly in a, in a demographic that's, it's, you know, eight, nine percent of the total population. That's a huge chunk right there. So, you know, just different things like that along the way that we need to find our community's unreached souls. And we branch it out into three different areas. We say we need to be an intentional. And then we need to intercede, which we just did a few minutes ago as Pastor Jay was lead, leading us along. And then also uh, we, we have to invite and so we're going to, I'm going to kind of be heavy on the intentional part here tonight. And then intercession doesn't happen, you know, just here at church. It's something you need to be doing. You need to be praying for your lost family members and loved ones. And I'm not up here like I've got this all together. I have a number of my family members, a number of my wife's family members that don't know the Lord as their Savior. And so uh, we, we totally get it. We, we know what that means. And I know what it means to, uh, in the middle of the night to wake up and be heavily burdened for a loved one and, and to be praying for them and interceding for them, step in the gap for them and then also to invite we're going to talk just a little bit about that tonight so that's kind of the three-pronged approach we give but in the intentional side of things the practical principles of personal evangelism that's found in Luke chapter 10 let's look at this tonight Luke chapter 10 we're going to start at verse 25 it kind of gets you the whole story of it but really we're going to look at verse 30 and onward but it gives you the whole deal I want you to get the whole picture Luke chapter 10 starting at verse 25 says one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And then the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. And then the guy tried to show off, and then Jesus kind of puts him in his place. I love what the Lord does. He lets people, you know, just kind of run their mouth until they, you know, they put enough rope out to hang themselves. But and he says, Jesus says, do this and you will live. And the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor? Right? Who is my neighbor? And this is where we get the parable of the Good Samaritan and a story that is exclusive to the book of Luke. And it says in verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes. Bandits, that's not a word you hear a lot anymore, is it? Bandit. You know, like... It's smoky in here, and we're talking about bandits kind of a thing. I just say, and nobody under the age of 35 knew what I just said right there. Mercy. Oh, God, get me back on track. And he was, he was attacked by bandits and smoky, and then they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And then a temple assistant, or some translations say a Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. And he also passed by on the other side. 
Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put him on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day, they handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him to take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these would you say? Uh, which of these would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked, and the man replied, "The one who showed him mercy." Then Jesus said, "Yes. Now go and do the same." Come well, on, let's pray. Father, I pray again tonight that you would release the power of your written word into our lives. Lord, I pray over these next few moments, Lord, that we would be able to sink our teeth into your word, Lord, that we would be able to digest the meat of your word and let it sink deep down into our soul, and Lord, may it be shut up in our bones, I pray tonight. I pray that we would know you. God, I pray that we would find a practical approach, Lord, uh, Lord, what comes natural to us as you have given us, Lord, your supernatural power, Lord, that we can naturally share the gospel with other people in a real practical way that meets them right where they are. God, have your way, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and everybody said? Amen. amen, amen. Now listen, I believe you get extra bonus points in heaven if you take notes, all right? So eight, uh, I want to give you eight principles. Y'all just got, got totally freaked out. An evangelist is going to give you eight principles, right? Eight principles to personal evangelism. Eight, pr eight practical principles of personal evangelism. Got it? Good. Thank you. Oh, yeah. So here it is, you know, Jesus is coming and, and this, this guy asks him, how do you inherit eternal life? And, you know, and, and it goes through this whole deal and it gets to the point of where this gentleman wants to try and get Jesus and catches him in a trap and says, and who is my neighbor? Now, uh, this particular word neighbor uh, to Jewish folks, you know, to us, neighbor means like somebody that lives beside us, right? And in our American culture, it means somebody that's nearby. But in the Jewish culture, it meant somebody that was Jewish that was close to you. So that could have been like a family member or a close friend, somebody that you really cared for and you loved, but they had to be of the same nationality. They had to look like you, talk like you, dress like you, act like you, have the same DNA, you know, just like be, be your tribe, right? Like be your people. And so that's what they were referring to. And, Je and Jesus wanted to flip this whole mentality uh, on its head because Jesus understood that there were going to be all kinds of people that lived around on this earth. And he dives into a story known as what we call the Good Samaritan, the parable of the good Samaritan. And Jesus said, a Jewish man was traveling in verse 30 from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Now this particular road from Jerusalem to Jericho was like a it was very uh, uh, windy and turns. It went through the hills and valleys. And there were a lot of different like uh, uh, caverns and, and, and caves off to the side. There were a lot of a lot of like deep areas that you didn't want to be traveling necessarily at nighttime. It definitely was uh, something that you didn't want to be going at it alone. And this particular Jewish man in this story that Jesus is telling walked in this. Obviously, he walked in it alone. Or if he wasn't alone, his friends were a bunch of, you know, sissies because they left him to go by himself. Come on, somebody. I just said sissy in church. Am I allowed to say that? All right, good. What have I said today? Stupid, shut up, and sissy. Even my words are in alliteration. That, well, I'm anointed. Hallelujah. So, I got issues. And this guy was attacked by Smokey and the bandits, and they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him up, left him, the Bible says here, half dead beside the road. You know, I don't even know. You're either dead or you're whole dead. But Jesus is like, you know, he's, he's really pouring it on here. He's half dead laying on the side of the road. You know, the fish was this big kind of a thing. 
And Jesus goes on to say, by chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side. And then also goes on, a temple assistant or a Levite walked over and saw him lying there, and he went to the other side of the road. And one of the reasons that is is because, uh, you know, th these guys, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, uh, they couldn't touch anything that was considered unclean. I talked a little bit about this this morning in the 11 o'clock service. Someone that was, that was either dead or dying or had a terminal illness, uh, this was crazy. Uh, the priests and the, and the temple assistants, the servants, weren't supposed to touch these people. Is this wild? Like, it's, it's the exact opposite of what's supposed to be happening, right? They, they were considered to be unclean, and if they went over and got anywhere near them, they would be unclean, which meant they couldn't do their job. They wouldn't get paid. These, the priests and the servants, they, they ate the food at the temple. Everything, that they, everything, their whole life revolved inside the temple. And if they couldn't, if they couldn't uh, do their jobs inside the temple, then they couldn't eat. They couldn't live. They, they couldn't function in life. And so they didn't want to risk that. Listen, if you want to, if you're going to meet, the, this isn't one of the principles, but if, if you want to reach people, particularly people that are maybe down and out, listen, you're going to have to risk something. You might have to risk your reputation. Uh, you might have to risk a day at work. You might have to, you know, different things that you might need to risk along the way. I just want you to know that if you want to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to risk your comfort. You're going to have to risk your reputation. Your reputation. You have to risk different things that maybe you didn't think were coming along the way. But I got news for you: someone's eternity is worth far more than my reputation and my comfort. So it's worth the risk. And Jesus goes on to say that a man that that a despised Samaritan came along. Now here's the deal with the Samaritan, and we're going to get into the eight principles here as soon as I'm done with this part. Uh, Samaritans, and this is particular why when this man says, and who is my neighbor? Remember I told you, Jewish people thought that this, this term neighbor meant somebody of the same blood, of the same descent, like everything was like them. They were like-minded. They were, you know, exactly the same. It was, you know, it'd be like a bunch of Tim Bennett's living all around each other. We don't want anybody else being around. Just a bunch of Tim Bennett's. Now, could you, that just, that freaks me out. And I'm a Tim Bennett. Come on. <laughs> And that's the way they thought. So when they said, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into it, and now a despised Samaritan. Here's why Samaritans were so despised. They were considered like a mixed breed of people. Clear back in 700 BC, the Assyrians came into the northern part of Israel and conquered that part. And, and they, they, they ruled and reigned there. And, and they drove out most of the Jewish people that were left. But there were just a small group of Jewish people that stayed there. And they intermarried with the Assyrian people. And that, that place became known as Samaria. And so they they were considered mixed breed of, of, of people and so the Jewish people they couldn't say that they were my they were their neighbors because remember they only wanted somebody that was just like them how boring is that you know how horrible is that as if God isn't creative come on somebody you know, you all understand that, right? God is so, God is so unbelievably created, creative. I mean, there's over 7 billion people on planet Earth right now, and not one of us has the exact same DNA or the exact same fingerprints as another. Our God is just unimaginably creative to us. You know, and then we assume that everybody's supposed to be like us. You know, it's no wonder there's some churches. This isn't one of them, by the way. I'm glad you're here. But there's a plenty of churches that are around are dying and, and just like, you know, when, when Pappy is done and then nobody else is a part because they didn't want anybody else to be in their little group. I want everybody to be here. How about you? I want every, I want every, doesn't matter how old or how young, what color, the black, yellow, brown, or white, or purple with polka dots or whatever it might be. You know, listen, I'm going to give you eight practical principles to, for personal evangelism of people with purple polka dots. Come on, somebody. 
And here's, here, here's where it goes. Jesus takes them in now. And this Samaritan, somebody that was considered just a, a, an outcast. In fact, these Samaritans, they had their own temple. They had their own copy of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They, they, they had their own system of religious schemes. They, they were able to, the Jewish people hated them for it. That they were able to do this on their own. And so whenever Jesus says this despised Samaritan comes over, and when he saw the man, the first principle is this, you need to see people. This is very simple. The, Jesus said when the Samaritan saw the man, you will never minister to anyone unless you see them. Now, I know there's different things that happen, and I know, you know, in, in sometimes in a group setting or in a large setting, you know, different people can pick up on different things and, and a random act of kindness along the way. But I got news for you. But a, a person, an impact, an impactful ministry happens when you see somebody for who they are, regardless of their conditions, regardless of what's around them, regardless of even what's what, what the reason that they're there. You've got to see them. They are a valued creation of God. Remember, God fearfully and wonderfully made each and every person he took time to make everyone to knit them together in their mother's womb every life matters we have to see people People that oftentimes we think, you know, I, I mean, think about this. You, you could be going into, into Walmart or, you know, if you're, the, if you're a, a yuppie, you go to Target, right? Somebody come on. Target. Right, and you walk in, and there's there's this there's this single mom in there that you know some deadbeat dad ran out on her or never took care of anything or whatever, and she's trying to handle everything. She's got a kid in the cart. She's trying to get groceries. She's she's got another kid on the hip. She's trying to do, it, and it's all crazy. Come on, we could stand up there and just like control your children. You know, we get so upset. They're taking time. Stuff's fumbling over. It's taking her a little while longer to get her card out to be able to pay and all the different stuff. Listen, you could get upset at the woman or you could have compassion or you could see the need. You could see her for what is going on in her life. By the way, if you happen to be a single parent, I want you to know you are a hero of mine. You're a hero of mine. Listen, I, I, I don't care about the circumstances that got you to where you are today. Listen, it, is a, it takes a hero to raise a child by yourself. Aren't thankful tonight that you can be a part of a church that will surround you and help you out and you don't have to do it by yourself anymore. Amen. I, can I say that I just obligated you all right? You all right with that? I figured, okay, good. You said J-Hi earlier. I just now remember that. I've never heard that before in my life. J-Hi. I know. I know what it was, but I just never heard J-Hi before. All right. Thanks for the moment. Back in. All right. We've got to see people. Right? We've got a, who's all in J-High? We got J-Hires over here? Any J-Hires? J-Hires usually don't like to like admit they're in J-High. I'm going to say J-High for the rest of my life now. You do know that. You know what? There's a word we call people. We call people J-Who's. People that I don't like, basically. But that's a whole other day. I'll tell you about that later on. J-Who was actually, yeah. Okay, listen. It's going to go longer than 20 minutes, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he saw him, and when he saw him, Jesus said he felt compassion on him. Principle number one, you need to see people. Principle number two, you need to have compassion on them. <laughs> compassion. You need to care. If you don't care about people, you are in the wrong business. If you don't have love for somebody else, listen to me. I, there's no way you have the love of God inside of you. If, you. if you have surrendered your life to Jesus and you believe that Jesus lives in your heart, that the love of Jesus that is inside of you should be just trying to rip its way out to reach somebody that needs its love. 
You've got to have compassion on them. It's, it's, it's the passion of love. Compassion. It's an easy way to remember. The passion of love. Right? The passion. I told you I wasn't going to tear apart Greek, but this is a great Greek word. This might be one of the greatest Greek words of all time. All right? Splagnizomai. Right? Splagnizomai. It literally means an inward movement of the bowels. I'm not making that up. Somebody, you can look that up right now. An inward movement. Because... <laughs> Jihad people, are, look at this now. You're like, come on now. Now, this is for real. Because it, it, they, they believe, like, how many, that, just that gut feeling you get sometimes? Just like, have you ever hurt for somebody before? Have you ever, is your heart ever just broke? You just ever had that? That's what it means to have, that you care. When you see somebody in need, it's not sympathy like, oh, I hope you're all right. I hope you make it. You know, we'll be praying for you kind of a thing. Come on, that little Christian thing we do. You know, how you feeling? You look good. I'll be praying for you. Oh, am I getting real? I'm sorry. It's what we do. Is it a co-worker? They know you come to Freedom Valley. They know you come to a church that believes in the moving of the Holy Spirit, how God uh, reaches people and can do miracles and signs and wonders, and they let you know of something that's going on maybe in their life or in the life of a, of a family member of theirs, and you're like, okay, thanks, so I'll remember that. No, you don't. If you're moved with compassion, you wouldn't let another second go by without praying for them right there and right now. If you see the need, there, you have to have compassion on them. You have to do, there has to be something that makes you want to do something about it. That's a good amen part. There you go. Good, because I wasn't moving on. All right. He came along and he saw the man. He felt compassion on him. And then in verse 34, it says, going to him. Listen to me. Principle number three is you need to go to them. All right, this isn't like deep stuff, right? You need to go to them. Go to them. Listen, we wait for people to come to us. Why? Jesus said we need to go into the highways and the byways and compel them. That we need to go to them. Go and make disciples. When Jesus rose from the grave, he told everybody, now go and tell. Go and tell. Go and tell. Not sit and wait. Go and tell. Not sit and all God, send souls. Send souls. Send. No, go get souls. Jesus is never going to send you a soul. You've got to go to them. We're passing them by every day. They're laying alongside the roadway every day. They're at the cubicle right beside yours. They're at the pump right beside you at the gas station. They're in line right beside you at the grocery store. They are everywhere. Go to them. See them. Be moved with compassion. Have the with wherewithal. Have the gut feeling to know you've got to do something about the circumstance and the sin that surrounds them and go to them. Meet them where they are. I'm supposed to be teaching. Tim, grab hold. All right. He went to him, going to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandage them. Listen to me. Principle one, you got to see somebody. You got to see them. Principle two, you need to have compassion. Principle three, you need to go to them. Principle four, practically meet their needs. This is not rocket science. If they have a cut, get them a band-aid. If their car is broke down, help them get it fixed. If the yard needs mowed, mow the yard. If they need a meal, make the lasagna. Come on, somebody. There is, there is Pentecostal lasagna. Come on, somebody. Come on. 
Here's the thing. People don't always remember the things you do as much as that you were there. It's not that you need to be some like, you know, Freudian counselor that you can sit there and somehow magically fix their mind and their needs and everything. It doesn't mean that you need you you need to be a mechanic or that you need to be able to do this or do that. You need to have the the in the beginning of Genesis to the Amen of Revelation memorized. You just need to be present, be there, and when there's a need that are, that shows itself, meet the need. God won't show you the need unless you have the capability of taking care of it. You have the capability of doing something about it, whatever it might be. And I, again, these are, these are general principles. If you were coming tonight looking for like some recipe on how to make a cake and then thinking it's the same way of personal evangelism, it's not. There are 7 billion people on planet Earth, and each and every one of them are going to need to be reached differently. I can't reach all of them. Some people will never listen to me. I'll never see some of them. But you will see people I'll never see. I'll see people you'll never see. And as long as each and every one of us are willing to go, listen, man, everyone will hear the message. We can't go to heaven until it happens, by the way. Can't get there, but no. He soothed the man's wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey. Listen to this. He put the man on his own donkey. Listen, you, you've got you've to love people. You've you got to go to them and meet their needs practically. But you've got to personally invest. You've got to personally invest. This is hard for us sometimes as Christians. Because we want to know where, where our money is going. You know, we want to know where our time and resources, is it worth the effort? I don't know. What do you think? Is hell and heaven difference for you enough? Personally invest in them. This man put him on his own donkey. You know what? You're going to have to put people in your own car. If you want them to come to church, you're going to have to pick them up. You're, you're going to have to be the one to call them. You're going to have to be the one to go to their living room. You're going to have to be the one to go to meet them in the hospital or with you know, loss of a loved one. Listen, if you're, if you're expecting every time something bad to happen for a pastor to show up, you only got a couple of them here. Come on, somebody. There's 100,000 people in Adams County. I mean, they can get to how many people a day? How many days is that going to take before they can reach all 100,000? We have to personally invest. You're going to have to sacrifice something of your own. This is not fun. This is not popular. This is not easy. You're going to have to be willing to let go of some things that you thought were valuable. You're going to have to lose comfort. That was his ride. He gave up his ride. That was his ride. That donkey was his ride. It was one horsepower, by the way. And it was his ride. And the Bible says he took him to the end. This is the invite part. Yeah, you need to invite people to church. You know, the, 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 the church stats are, you know, there's all kinds of crazy stats out there, right? One that seems to be very consistent where you can read across the board that seven out of every ten people would actually come to church if they were only invited. Now, I know some of us are saying, listen, Tim, I must be talking to the other three, Right? Seven out of every ten. I even I've, I've read a couple of them here recently that I, I saw a number as high as eighty-two percent of people res responded positively to an invite to church. They were willing to come to church, but we stopped inviting them. Here's the other stat that is staggering: 
after someone has been a committed follower of Jesus Christ for longer than two years, over 90% of people that have been in church or been a follower of Jesus Christ longer than two years, over 90% of us stop inviting people to church. That's pretty much everyone in the room. Sooner or later, there's a small sect of people in the room that actually invite. And I'm not talking about some like social media post. Hey, come to Freedom Valley. We're having church. They know that. Hello. They know that. We can put the general ads out, but you know them by name. Just like Jesus knows you by name, you know your neighbor by name. You know them, but you know your family member by name. You know your friend by name. You know your loved one by name. You, listen, you can invite them to church. Even maybe that person. Uh, I mean, what about your waitress? Get, get to know them. Invite them to church. Leave a good tip. Come on, somebody. Hey, by the way, if you don't leave a good tip, don't tell them you're from Frida Valley. Right? Tell them you're from the Baptist church down the road. No, don't do that. Tell them you were predestined to leave them a cheap tip. No, don't do that. That's bad. It's funny. If you're a Baptist, I'm sorry I offended you, but get your theology straight now. All right, listen. He took care of him. He took him to an inn. He invited him where he took care of him. And in the verse 35 says, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Listen, I already told you about the personal investment, but the last thing is to follow up. This is huge. This is huge, 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 bigly. You understand? This is like the biggest thing ever. People need to know that, they, that, that you care about them. And the one way they know you care about them is that you go after them and then you go after them again and 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 you go after them again you stay with them every day you call them every day you love on them every day at every second of every moment listen to me you have got to let people know that they they matter to God and the way you do that is by continually following up with them it's one of the big reasons why we do the I'm in cards and that was I believe that was a divine moment this morning when I said that's just not an I'm in for them it's a it's an we're in we're in with you we're here for you. We are the family of God. There, listen, blood is thicker than water. Come on, somebody. I know whenever all hell is breaking loose in people's lives, families stick together. People are eating. Listen, I know I, I could be in a big fight with I, my brother's five years older than me. He's a cop and everything. I love him to death. We could have the biggest disagreement, but I got news to you. If something happened to me right here, right now, I could get on the phone with my brother who's three hours away, and I can guarantee he'd be here in two and a half. Come on, somebody. He can drive a cop car, so he might be here in two hours. I don't know. <laughs> But I know that. In fact, just, just a few weeks ago, just to prove this, a few weeks ago, I wasn't at home. I, forget, I don't even remember where I was. Where was I, dear? Baltimore. I was in Baltimore. My wife was home, so I was in Baltimore, which is several hours from our house. My brother is, uh, lives 20, 30 minutes from where, we li from where we live now. And somebody, my wife thought somebody was breaking into our house. I couldn't do anything about it. But guess what? My brother was there. Hello, you know? Oh, did I put that up? Sorry. I got a permit. <laughs> if people are our family, if we really are the family of God, then we need to act like it. 
We need to act like we're, they're our brothers and sisters. It doesn't mean we have to like everybody or we always get along with them. But at the end of the day, blood is thicker than water. And we have all been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are all part of the family of God. This is what it means to have somebody as your neighbor. You know, I, I grew up in and around Pittsburgh. And if, if, you know, up until the last few years, you know, how many remember Mr. Rogers? Come on, somebody. Right? Won't you be my neighbor? You know, I could put a little sweater on, do the little shoe thing or whatever and zip it up. You know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Won't you be mine? Won't you be mine? All right, so it's a neighborly day for a beat. Oh, I can't. All right, stop. Mr. Rogers came up with this thing. He called it Club 143. 143. One for the letter I. Four for the four letters of love, L-O-V-E. And three for you, Y-O-U. One, four, three. I love you. Won't you be my neighbor? We need to love people. At the end of the day, I could give you eight practical principles to personal evangelism, but unless you love God, and, you lo and if you love God, you have to love people. It's very simple. There's, this is not some deep theological moment here. This is just, this is it. This is it. If you love God, you've got to love people. I always get a kick out of folks that want to come and, you know, they'll, they'll come and they'll complain to me about whatever. And I listen, I, I struggle with people just like anybody else does. Come on, how you know what I'm talking about? You know, like sometimes ministry would be fantastic if it wasn't for the people, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're not supposed to hear preachers say that, but I'm leaving tonight, so it's all right. I love, but honestly... I know some things can wear you out, different circumstances and situations, but you know what? Life on this earth is very short. We're here a short time. We're here a very short time. We need to be willing to love on people every chance we get. Club 143. 143. Every time you see the number 143, in fact, the, the, the folklore says, and it, it probably isn't that far off because he was kind of a frail man anyway, Mr. Rogers even kept his weight close to 143 pounds. And now he is known around the world for won't you be my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Everyone you ever come in contact. Everybody you come in contact with. But at the end of the day, you better love on people because God loves you. And this is how people are going to know that you're of God, that we love one another. Take care of each other. The world is watching. The world is watching. I'm going to pray for you. Pastor Jay from Jay High, FE Youth, Jay Bone, Jay Man, PJ, Jay Hugh, Rainbow Head. Oh, that was it? That's it. That's right. Skittle hair. Come on. I love you. Come on, let's all pray right now for just a moment. Lord, I thank you for the divine privilege, Lord, that you've given me to be here with this amazing, amazing group of followers. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would have the compassion of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would see people where they are. We wouldn't try and make them somebody that they're not, but we would meet them right where they are. We would go to them. We would see them. We would go to them. We would have compassion on them. God, that we would practically meet their needs. God, that we, that we would just have... Lord, that, that deep down commitment, Lord, in our hearts, in our soul, in our gut, Lord, that we know we got to do something about it. 
Lord, that we would find opportunities. We would make opportunities. We don't have to wait for the right moment. But God, you're giving us moments every day. I pray we would have the spiritual eyes. Lord, I pray for the gift of discernment in our lives like never before. God, I know we pray for miracles, signs and wonders, prophecy. Lord, speaking in tongues, interpretation tongues, all that stuff. But God, I pray we would have discernment more than anything anymore. God, I pray we'd have discernment to know your voice. God, I know you speak to us. Anybody can hear your voice, but I pray we would be separated by, God, our obedience. Lord, I pray we wouldn't just hear your voice, but I pray we'd have enough guts to do what you ask us to do. God, I pray we would know our neighbor. We would meet them practically. Lord, we would go to them, personally invest, invite them, bring them. God, and continue to follow up. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to build your church here in Adams County and may the gates of hell not prevail against it. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Would you thank Pastor Tim if you've been blessed by his ministry this week? Ow. You know, he, he talks so much about how much he loves Freedom Valley. Well, we love you, Tim. Um, you're a part of this church, you're a part of our family, and a part of this culture, so thank you for this weekend. It, it means the world to us. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Um, if you're staying here for uh, the prayer breakout, I'm going to ask you to move to kind of this center section. Uh, let's make it easy on, on back here. So, so center section and, and maybe move forward if you're able um, so that if she doesn't want to use the mic, she doesn't have to because microphones are scary. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and give Beck a, a touching and caring introduction because I love doing that. This is Beck. Rude. He's rude. No, I'm just kidding. I lo we love Jason. Uh, it oh, he's gone the other way. Um, I, for those of you that don't know me, I actually grew up at Freedom Valley. I was at Freedom Valley when we were in the middle school in Gettysburg. Um, so like, I mean forever ago. Forever and always ago. So um, it is a privilege to be here tonight. Uh, my husband and I actually are one of the church plants in Harrisburg that Freedom Valley has done. We um, I've been at church for almost six years now, which is amazing to me that, you know, we made it. We made it. Uh, no, we're excited about that. And so when Can Pastor Candace asked me to uh, speak on prayer, I thought I'd love to. And so I just want you to know, coming from me, I like to have, I want to have a conversation. I think that Jesus and everything in the gospel is simple. It's simple, and I think too many times we overcomplicate it, or we feel like we have to be something we're not, or we have to pray prayers that somebody else prayed, but God is about a personal relationship. He is, it's, he wants to know who you are, and so I just want to go through a couple of things with you today about what prayer means to me, how I sort of get back into the mode of praying, um, my mom is a prayer warrior and an intercessor, and my whole life I grew up thinking, I have to pray like my mom. My mom can pray for hours. I have to be honest. My prayer time, I struggle within the first five minutes, I'm thinking about what I should make for dinner. Or I'm getting stuck, and for years and years and years, I felt so guilty 
I was like, Lord, I'm supposed to love you so intensely, and I can pray for about five minutes before I get distracted, or I get caught up, and I am like, Lord, do I not love you enough because I can't pray for hours like Jan can? I, I felt like I wasn't possibly as godly as she was because I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't do what she did. And I'll never forget, I was, I was in my bedroom, and I'm like, that's it. Today, this is probably about 10 years ago, I'm like, today I'm going to pray for an hour, and I'm not going to think about anything else for an hour. That didn't happen. <laughs> it was like 10 minutes long, and I couldn't think of anything else to say, and I just kept, do you know, you know, sometimes you just keep saying God's name over and over and over again. Jesus, thank you, God, for being awesome. God, we love you, God. Thank you for who you are, God. Do, you, do we approach a person like that? I don't look at Lori and say, hi, Lori. How you doing, Lori? It's so good to see you, Lori. How you doing, Mrs. Redding? When you talk to her, I don't do that. And so I felt like I was crying. Then I'm just crying. If you know me at all, I cry. That's just something that happens. I cry when things are good. I cry when things are bad. I cry when I'm happy, when I'm sad, when a really good commercial comes on. I cry when anybody gets married. My husband does lots of weddings. I go to weddings of people I don't know, and I cry. The best moment of all is when that, when that groom looks at that bride, and he, he just see, when he starts to cry, I'm like, that's it. I'm crying. I can't, I can't help it. So I'm crying, and I'm like, Lord, I guess I just don't love you well enough. And he said to me, he said, I want you to be yourself when you talk to me. I don't want you to feel like you have to be somebody else. Oh, I have papers. I forgot I have papers. Sorry. If you go out and take notes, here's papers. You can pass them around. I hope I have enough. I don't know. So I went to scripture and I said, God, how am I supposed to figure out what this is supposed to look like? And I found a, a verse that talks about prayer. It's the Lord's prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and I felt so comforted by this because one other thing about me is I love history so much. So I'm a little bit of a nerd. So growing up in the Gettysburg area was like heaven on earth for me because it was history. I love it. I love it. I love the history of all the things. And so when I study scripture, I like to know what's going on. So in this, in this place in scripture, where the Lord's Prayer is, if you want to look up the Lord's Prayer, it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. And here's what's happening. The disciples are saying, God, in that time frame, the Pharisees had ritual, what they called ritualistic prayers. It was prayers that they just recited over and over and over again. So if you grew up in that culture, you knew these prayers. This is just something that you would pray. And so the disciples are like, Lord, how are we supposed to pray? We want to know, like, is this what you expected from us? Is this what you wanted from us? How do we pray? And in his response, Christ said this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You guys all know it. On earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've all heard that, right? And so then I was confused, because that happens to me a lot too. 
Because they're asking, okay, Jesus, how do we pray? And he then, what I'm thinking in my head is he gave them another ritualistic prayer to pray. And so I'm like, God, this doesn't make sense to me. Why then, if they're asking to get out of this? And I felt like God said, this is an example, ding dong. This isn't exactly what you're supposed to pray. Here's how I want you to pray. And I, I don't know about you, but I get distracted really easily. I'm like the dog from the movie Up. Like, you see Squirrel, and I can't focus, and I go on and rabbit trails. And, but prayer is incredibly important because it is our conversation to God. It's the lifeline between us. It's the communication between us and our Father. And so it's incredibly important. And Jesus came to earth to give us an example. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, he said, it says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to slip away from life to pray... Doesn't that mean we should? Doesn't that mean that we have to make it important? Doesn't that mean that it has to be imperative to our life? If Jesus, because I think at any moment, Jesus could have been like, I am done with this human thing. I do not want to be human anymore. At any moment, he could have been like, that's it. I'm flying away. I'm done. God, figure out a different way. But he came on earth to give us an example of how to live so if Jesus, in his most difficult times, right before he's being crucified, he goes and he prays. He has that communication. Part of us, part of us struggle because we don't communicate regularly with God. Or we communicate with someone else's words. If I only communicated with my husband in poetry from somebody else, does that mean that I really love him? I'm just reciting somebody else's stuff. I'm just saying what somebody else came from somebody else's heart. And so that day when I was crying in my bed because I could only pray for 10 minutes and I looked up scripture and I'm like, God, I don't get it. Oh, what am I going to do? I can't be a lead pastor together with my husband if I can't pray long and hard and all the big words. He said, you're my kid. I want you to talk to me like that. And so I started to study this passage of scripture where it says this is God this is Jesus Jesus's response to how to pray and so I came up with eight things to show us how to pray it's funny that pastor Bennett had eight things I'm like I have eight things too eight and so I think the first one is know who you are speaking to there is a reason that Jesus started the prayer out this way you have to know who you're speaking to. And sometimes we forget who we're speaking to. We're speaking to the creator of the universe, our God that loves us, our God that says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. We're speaking to the spirit who came to comfort you and empower you. When you know who you're talking to, it changes your tone. When I'm talking to my children... My son won't get his shoes on for the thousandth time. My son's 10, and for some reason, he takes his shoes off everywhere we go. 10. What? He needs to wear shoes. We'll be at church, and he doesn't have his shoes. We're getting ready to leave. I'm like, we can't leave if you don't have your shoes. He's like, I don't know where they are. I'm like, how could you not know where your shoes are? 
There's a different form of communication. I talk to my children differently than maybe I'd talk to the president. I talk differently to maybe a friend than I would a stranger. When you know who you're talking to, you're talking to God that holds all this stuff in his hands. So if you start out your prayers knowing who you're talking to, it becomes more powerful. When we take a moment and we, wa- and we wash, this way this is first. Because how many times do we start, dear God, give me a good parking space. Dear God, fix this. Dear God, do that. We start with just the term, and then we immediately go into stuff that matters to us. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. If you start your prayers saying, God, you're good, however you'd say it. You could say you're great, you're awesome, you're beautiful, you're fabulous, I love you. It doesn't matter how you say it, but if we recognize who we're speaking to, it changes the tone of how we pray and what we say. So we have to start off by knowing who we talk to. Number two, we have to thank him. Here's the thing about thanking somebody. Have you ever just been annoyed with somebody really bad? Anybody ever been annoyed in their whole life? Anybody? Seriously, four of you? I mean, I get annoyed regularly. Thank you for raising your hand. Yes. If you go, I tell my kids when they're arguing, I have a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, and a 13-year-old. And yes, I had a lot of children in a very short amount of time. And then I was done. Three kids in four years, and that was it. There's something about thanking someone that changes your mindset. If you go in with a thankful heart, if you go in with a heartfelt thank you to somebody, it changes the perspective from me to you. When you think about what God has done for you, here's the thing. God, number one, God doesn't owe us anything. If all he ever did for us was save us from hell, that is enough. But the beautiful thing about the God we serve is that's not all he's doing. That's not all he's going to do. And so if we go in knowing who we're talking to, this incredible God, our Savior, and we thank him for that, it changes the course of our prayers. If we thank him for who he is and what he's done, our impossible situations that we're going to get to and pray for become a little bit less daunting. They become a little bit less overwhelming when we remind ourselves who God is and thank him for what he's done. It makes what we're facing feel smaller. Because so many times we focus on the problem rather than God or the solution. Because the bottom line is no matter what you're facing, no matter what your church is facing, no matter what your family is facing, God is in control and bigger than all of it. So when we put him in the right place, that he's bigger than all of it, and take our stuff off the top, it gets smaller. It gets easier. It gets as much more manageable. It shrinks to where it's, it should be. So number one, we're supposed to know who he is. Number two, we thank him for who, for who he is. And number three, we ask for God's will. I think this one is hard. Because I don't know about you, but I think I know myself pretty good, pretty well. It's pretty well better. I don't think, I don't know, not grammar 
I'm not grammarly, all right? I don't know. Is it well? I think I know myself pretty well. I think it's that. We're going to say it's that. I think I know myself pretty well, so I also think that I know what is best for me. Hey, God, I know this. I want this job. I, this is going to be right for me. I want this. Or I, what are the things we pray for? Hey, God, I silly things like that parking spot. I'll be honest. I pray for a good parking spot pretty regularly because I wear down-heeled shoes a lot because I'm very short, and so I wear high-heeled shoes a lot. So if I'm honest, I don't want to walk from the back of the parking lot. I want to walk, walk from the front, so I pray for a parking space. It's insignificant, and I should be ashamed of myself, but I'm just being honest, right? This is things I pray for. Or I pray for sometimes there to be dinner magically made when I get home from work. <laughs> I'd really like that to be the case. Let somebody have made dinner on the counter. No, I think a lot of times I want to pray what's good for Beck. I want to pray my will be done. And here's the thing. I can code it very nicely. Well, Lord, I just want this because it's going to be better for that person, and it's going to be better for me. And we code it in all the nice words, and we say, God, I just want your will, when really I just want you to make my will be done. I want my will to be your will, God, so could you make that happen? If we really focus on who God is and we thank him for what he's done and then we ask him to move in his will, ask for his will to be done, again, it changes our perspective. God cares about, about two things in life, that we love him with all, of his, with all of our heart and we love our neighbors as ourselves. So if your prayers don't fall into those things, I got to be honest, they may not be answered, or they may not be answered the way you would like them to be answered. If they don't fall into those two simple things, God's not going to come through for something that isn't in his will. Even Jesus, I love this, when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows what's about to happen. First of all, can you guys imagine, we often think of Jesus in that time frame as the Son of God, and he was fully God, but he was also fully man. Have you ever had that sick feeling in your stomach when you know you have to do something that you don't want to do, that you have to confront somebody that you don't? I hate confrontation. I would literally rather hide in a cave than confront somebody. I don't love it, or I'd rather just sweep it under the rug. It goes away then, right? I always tell my husband, it just go away. He's like, it never goes away. It just festers and get big, gets bigger, right? It just gets worse. So you might as well just confront it first. Jesus, that sick feeling you feel when you have to do something you don't want to do, can you even begin to imagine what it would have been like? Jesus knew exactly what he was about to encounter the next day. He even said, is there any way you could take this away? Is there any other way that this can be done? But after, so he asks, please, possibly, any other, even Jesus. But then he says, if it's, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Could you imagine if we could get to the place where we really meant that? The truth of the matter is, what you're facing may be terrible. It may be awful. But the word of God is either all true or none of it's true. And it says that 
your, your father will never leave you, never forsake you. He's always there. And if we can get to the place, Lord, say, to say, Lord, even when it's hard, even when I don't want to do this, it's not my will, but yours be done. If we can pray that prayer, again, everything seems smaller. All the things that we let control how we think and how we function and how we do things, it will get smaller. And so we have to ask for God's will. Number four, this one's the best, this one's my favorite. Tell him what you need. Tell him what you need. And Jesus' time, so that part is the part where it asks for bread. Bread was a staple. Every First of all, thank you, Jesus, for bread. Anybody like carbs around here? That is, quite frankly, that's the one thing I don't think I could live without. Have you ever been to, like, Macaroni Grill or Carabas where they bring the free bread and it's like the oil and the herbs? I mean, that is, if Jesus were a food, he'd be bread. It does say he's the bread of life. That's what it says. So everybody tells me I can't eat carbs. No. Jesus says I can eat them because he talks about it here. I love bread. And in this time frame, when this prayer was written or spoken, bread was a staple. Everybody got it. Everybody knew that they needed bread. It was something they needed. So Jesus knew when he's talking. And your father knows that there are natural things that you need. Natural things, but he put it in the order, this order for a reason. When we know who we're talking to, when we thank him, and then when his will, we ask for his will, it's easy then to ask what, for what we need because our perspective changes. If you go in asking right off the top for all the things that you need without knowing who God is and for thanking him for all he's done and for his will, you may ask for some selfish things. But when we ask in the right order, when we pray in this way, then you ask for what you really need and not your will and not what you want. That's why he said bread here. He didn't say steak or lobster. Give us our daily lobster. That would have been nice too. I'd be okay. With, I'll do like, quite frankly, I just like food. It's just, I should probably work on that. It says you should ask God for what you need. The Bible said, ask, you do not have because you do not ask God. God is your father. How many, do we have parents in here? How many parents do we have? When your kids ask you for a basic necessity, do you look at them and are like, eh, you don't need to wear clothes to school today. On your way. No. When we ask God for things that we really do need, he comes through. The problem is we ask God first without consulting his will and thanking him for who he is. And so we are really, we think we need it, but we're asking for things that we want. We're asking for things that we desire and not things that we need. This prayer is talking about your daily bread, your staples, the things that you need, that we need. But when we do these things in the right order, when we have the conversation with our dad, with God, all this stuff falls into place. Tell him what you need. Number five, ask for forgiveness. James 5.16 reminds us that if we want our prayers to be heard, our hearts need to be in the right place. How many times have you gone praying to God 
and praying that God would change somebody else. Change the situation that you're in or change your boss or change your spouse or change your kid. And then you sometimes are like, why is God not listening? Sometimes I think God doesn't, li he always listens. He just doesn't answer us the way we want him to. And I think sometimes we don't get the answer because we need to look inside. Sometimes we need to say, Lord, change me. We have to start there. Newsflash, you're never going to change someone else. You can't do it. It's not a thing. We go in thinking it's something. It isn't a thing. It's not real. You can't change somebody. People only change if they want to change. And so I think this, this is telling us this example of prayer saying, ask for forgiveness. Ask God to change the things inside of you. That's not a fun part of prayer. It's fun to focus on somebody else and all their stuff. It's not fun to focus on ourselves. Number six, this is imperative. If you don't have someone, pray with a friend. Number six, pray with a friend. God knows we're human beings. And we don't, I don't know about you, but I don't see God daily. I don't see him physically see him. I can see him in nature. I can see him in his war. I don't physically see him. I don't know about you, but I like to talk to somebody. I like to hear somebody back at me verb verbally. I want to I hear what they're saying. This part is really important in your prayer life. If you want God to move in your prayer life, you have to find someone to pray with. There is something powerful about praying with somebody. There's something powerful about being vulnerable with somebody else because it's very easy to get all your stuff out by yourself and then hide it from somebody else. And it's really hard, I think, to, if you don't have somebody to share your prayer life with, if you don't have somebody to communicate your struggles or someone to pray with you, it's really easy to get stuck in your stuff. Well, let me tell you, I have some friends that pray with me and I ask them to pray with me about certain things. You know what's the worst? When I haven't done better at the things I ask them to pray with me about and they call me to the carpet and say, are you working on this? How's this look? How are you with God in this area? If I don't have a prayer partner, if I don't have a friend and it doesn't have to be a million friends. I also think be very careful who you share your stuff with. Find someone that you trust. Find someone that's going to keep your confidences. Find someone that's going to pray with you. But if you don't have someone to pray with you, if you don't have someone to share that stuff with, it is a lonely road. Even God has the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They do this thing together. What makes us think we can do it on our own? You can't. If he's an example for us in every way, then he's an, he's an example here. He even asked his disciples, pray with me, please. I'm going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Pray with me, please. And those jokers fell asleep. Don't you? I 
feel like, what? He's the son of God. You've seen him do all these things. You cannot stay awake for 10 minutes and pray for the guy? They must have felt awful the next day when all that went down. They must have been like, maybe I should have prayed. Maybe I should have prayed with him and done, done, my, done my work. Uh, number seven, pray the word. Have you ever just been in a conversation with God, and we talked about this earlier, and you don't know what to say? You just get stuck. Pray the word. The word is life. It makes you whole. It brings newness to you. He, it, it is God-breathed. So when you pray the word, you are praying the words of God, the creator of the universe. He could have used anything to create the universe. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have blinked his eyes. He could have done a spin or a cartwheel. He could have done whatever he, want. he wanted. He was God. He could have literally done whatever he wanted to create the universe. But what did he do? He spoke. He spoke words. So if you don't have words, bring life and power. So when you don't know what to say, it's okay. There's a whole giant book of a lot of words that you can pray. And here's the hard part. If you don't know the word, you can't pray it. If you don't spend time in the word of God, you don't know it. So then you really are stuck. And then you do say God's name 47 times in a three-minute prayer because you don't know it. And that's not to shame you. That's not to, again, this is an example. God gave us an example. We have to pray the word of God. That's why it's there because it's meant for you to have life. And number eight, it goes along with number seven, memorize the scripture. It goes right along with when praying the word, when you memorize scripture. Here's what happens when you start reading the word of God and memorizing it. When you're in that really tough time and you know scripture, it comes to mind. When you spend time praying, and I do my praying and reading the word together because, again, I am all over the place. So I need a little side distraction. I need to pray for a few minutes, and then I need to read my Bible, and then I read a devotion, and then I listen to worship music, and then I go back to praying. I have to do it that way. Find out what works for you. That might not work for My mom's like, I have to go in a room. There can be no, there can be no noise. Your kids can't call me or text me. I can have nothing, and I need my old Bible, and it's me and God. I'm like, Mom, I, I'd, I would fall asleep. I would, I would fall asleep. I don't have to be my mom. You don't have to do it like I do. But get in the Word. Spend time conversing with God. Because here's the bottom line. The reason prayer is important is because it's our communication line with our Father. If you never talk to your spouse, do you have a good relationship? If you never spoke to your children, but more than two words in the morning, do you have a good relationship? No. If you don't communicate with your Father, whether we want to candy coat it or not, we don't have a good relationship with Him. And it doesn't have to be this mystical, huge words prayer. It's a conversation with your dad. And if that's hard for you because you've had a terrible father, then he's your friend. 
Think about him as your friend that you talk to in your worst hour. He's the best friend you've ever, you're ever going to have. And the best part, he knows you better than you know yourself. Wouldn't it be nice if your best friend really did know all the answers to fix all your stuff? Well, this one does. He knows it. So don't make prayer something it isn't. It is a conversation with your God. That's it. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't feel like you have to make it something that it isn't. It is simple and beautiful. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. When you first meet, I know when I first met my husband and I'm a chatter, when I first met him, I talked a lot less. I wanted to make sure I said the right things, made sure it was all perfect, and I wanted him to like me. Now, that dude just hears everything I ever think. It all just comes flowing out of my mouth. That's how it should be with God. It'll get there. If it feels weird to you now, that's okay. Work on it. We've been, Tom and I have been married 17 years now. There's not a thing he doesn't hear from me, and my husband's kind of quiet, which is great for me because I get to over-talk to him, and he just listens, which is great. Sometimes I wonder if he's really listening to all the things I'm saying. I don't know that he is, but I do know that God does. I do know that he wants that for you. He wants that intimate conversation with you. Let him know that you're doing good. Well, I don't, let him know you're doing well. Let him know when you're struggling. Let him know when you're happy. Let him in. That's all that prayer is, is letting him into the conversation, letting him into your life, and not making it overcomplicated. So let me pray. That's a good way to end praying, right? Father, I thank you that you are good. I thank you that you are kind. I thank you that you are just. I thank you that you know what we need. I thank you that you created us right as we are, God. You gave us our personalities. You gave us the things that we are that make us who we are. So, Father, I pray that we'd embrace those things. I pray that we would begin to speak to you like we know you, like we belong to you. That we wouldn't try to be someone else, God, but we would be ourselves. Father, I ask that you'd move in power in each person in this room in their prayer life, God. I pray that they would start to see you move in power. I pray that their lives would be changed because of the conversations they're having with you. We love you for all that you are, all that you've done, and all the things you're going to do. In your incredible name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much for listening to me yammer. If you, you want to talk or have any questions, I'll be up here. So have a great night, guys.